of all the important doctrines of the Christian faith, few rise to the level of the Bible's teaching on faith. Faith is essential to the Christian life. It is essential for salvation. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that by grace we are saved through faith. It is also essential for our growth and godliness. We are told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, that the righteous live by faith. And we're also told in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that without it, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is essential to live the Christian life, which is why the author of Hebrews devotes an entire chapter to the topic of faith. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Today we are continuing with our series through Hebrews. We're closing out this great chapter on faith by looking at verses 29 through 40 of Hebrews chapter 11. In this popular section of Scripture known as the Great Hall of Faith, the author of Hebrews is instructing his audience on what faith is, what it looks like, and the lessons to be learned from the faithful. And we have learned a lot, have we not, when it comes to faith and on how we are to live by faith. For example, we have learned how to worship by faith, how to walk by faith, how to obey by faith. We learn from the example of Abraham and Sarah that faith is having confidence in God when His calling is challenging. It's having an eternal perspective when fulfillment is unseen. It's trusting in the faithfulness of God when His promises seem unbelievable and it's holding on to what we know to be true about God when His Word seems counter. We learned last week from the patriarchs and from Moses, faithfulness is finishing well. It's trusting in the unforeseen promises. It's faithfulness is not fearing men, but trusting in God. It is rejecting worldly comforts for heavenly purposes and Faithfulness is listening to God's Word, believing God's Word, and responding to God's Word. And to end this chapter today, the author of Hebrews gives us several more principles here about faithfulness from this diverse and unlikely list of people that he gives us in the last half of Hebrews chapter 11. The first thing we learn about faith from this passage we're going to look at today is this. We learn that faith is believing God's promises against all odds. It may read a little bit different in your outline. I changed it up. I didn't like how that, I worded that point earlier in the week. Change it to this. Faith is believing in God's promises against all odds. Now, I know the phrase, believe in the impossible, sounds like a bad Disney cliche, right? And that phrase is, is often wrongly stated and misapplied. But, but get this, applied to the one true God of the Scriptures and His promises, it's right and true. God can do the impossible. We, we have record of it in His Word. Look at verses 29 through 30. By faith... 
The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Two great examples here. First, think about Moses and God's people at the Red Sea. Last week we talked about Moses and about Passover and about how killing the lamb and spreading the blood over the doorpost of their homes, though we've heard that so many times, that story, that it's just second hat to us, right? It would have been a very strange request in Moses' day, yet Moses believed the Lord. He had faith and obeyed him and the Jewish people as well, and they were spared God's judgment. What resulted from this plague that God sent was God's people were allowed to leave Egypt. God delivered them, and as they followed Moses out of the land, they eventually make it to the Red Sea. And y'all know what happened there, right? We learn in Exodus chapter 14, you're going to read that this week in your scripture reading. And in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, 29, we learn that by faith, the Jewish people follow God's man Moses to the Red Sea. By faith, Moses lifted up his staff and the waters parted. God parted the waters and he and the Israelites along with them, by faith, walked through the midst of the sea on dry land. Now, while these people, we know they had their faults, right? Just keep reading and you'll see that. This is a great demonstration of faith right here. It took great faith in God to walk across the seafloor as one would on dry land, trusting that God alone would continue to hold back the waters. Trusting in this covenant that God had made with them that would keep them safe and get them through it. That is faith right there. It's an awesome work that God does. And it gives the reader insight into the great and amazing work to come that God's going to do when he sends his son to provide an even greater deliverance to sinners like you and me at this time this is one of the, the the greatest works of deliverance before the the greatest act of deliverance that comes through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ I also want you to see that God's covenant with this people that kept God's hand upon the waters holding it back is the reason the waters came crashing down on the Egyptians it's the same reason look at it by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, for those of you familiar with the story, you know that, that Pharaoh eventually changes his mind once again, has his army pursue God's people. They pin them against the sea, and God again delivers his people out by parting the sea. And notice that God's enemies follow his people through the sea. Now, this was not because they were people of great faith. It's because they were extremely arrogant, believing God's people were nothing to fear, that they were inferior and their God was inferior to their gods. That's what they believed. But they should have felt otherwise, right? And while God keeps his covenant with his people to deliver them through the sea, he also keeps his covenant by crushing his enemies in the heart of the sea. 
So God's people by faith, they crossed the Red Sea. They trusted God to keep his promises, even if it meant him doing the impossible. Notice what else. Look at verse 30 again. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, this is a different group of Israelites here, right? Remember, we discussed earlier in Hebrews when we, when we studied about the time of the Exodus from the book and, and when we study about it in the Old Testament, the children of Israel lacked faith on occasion, more often than not, right? And they were, uh, oftentimes their hearts were, were turned away from God and his leaders and back toward Egypt. God finally said enough is enough. He made them remain in the wilderness for 40 years, did not allow them to enter into the land of rest, into God's rest, into his land of promise. And not even Moses was allowed to enter in, just Joshua and Caleb from that generation. By the time of the events, of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 that unbelieving generation was all but gone a new generation had come to take back the land that God promised to his people and how are they going to take it back God tells Joshua they're going to march around a city for seven days and blow trumpets that's the plan can you imagine how that plan would have gone over in any military strategist meeting? I can just hear it now. You want us to do what? You want us to march around a fortified city and blow trumpets. Okay, Joshua. All right. Now give us a real plan. Quit joking around, right? That plan makes absolutely zero sense, humanly speaking. Yet that's the plan. And by faith, that's what God's people do. And notice what it says. And the walls of Jericho fell down. God did that work. God parted the Red Sea. God tore down the walls of that fortified city. Believers, fasten your seatbelts. Listen, we serve the same God today. Do you realize that? We do. When God promises something, it is as good as done. And oftentimes, when it seems as if there is no human way, uh, humanly way possible for God to work, God works beyond human possibilities. He does. Listen, earthly, physical inabilities and the laws that govern the earth should not hinder the way we view God and His promises. He is creator God. He has put these systems in place. These systems that our scientists study and say, no, it has to work this way. He's above that. He has created those systems. And at times, he does suspend the laws he put in place to work in miraculous ways. And you know why he can do it? Because he's God. He's above those systems. Now, he chooses oftentimes to work within that, but at times... He suspends that and works in, in miraculous ways. Point number two, we also learn in this passage, not only is faith believing in God's promises against all odds, faith in the present pleases God regardless of one's past. Look at verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute, just soak that in for a minute, did not perish with those who were disobedient 
because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Here we have a name that you might not expect to land in this list. After Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Moses, you have Rahab. Mentioned three times in the New Testament, in Hebrews and James, she is referred to as a prostitute, but she is also held up as an example for the faithful. Here in verse 31, we're told that Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Now, you remember Rahab's story, right? Our, our ladies are going through Joshua right now. Our guys have already gone through that book, studied through it. You learn when you study when God's people were spying out the land to take, she took them in, covered for them, helped them escape, and as a result, she is spared by God and her people with her, and she appears here in the hall of faith. Rahab was not motivated by greed or self-protection. She did not have any sort of evil vendetta against her people. She is just simply motivated by faith. She believed God. She believed God's judgment was coming. She believed that God was going to keep his covenant with his people. And she also believed that God might protect her and her family from the destruction of Jericho if she was faithful and she was right. We learn here from Rahab's story, and we see this point made again and again in Scripture. Harlots are made holy by God's grace alone, through faith alone. The worst of sinners become the godliest of saints by God's grace alone, through faith alone, through God's inward working and their outward obedience. God changed Rahab's heart, and Rahab shined in her faith and was used by God to save his people when they needed it most. As a result, God blesses her. He saves her in her household. He uses her in a mighty way in his kingdom story. Maybe you're here this morning and you think to yourself, there is no way possible God could ever do anything with me because of what I've done in the past. Maybe you think you were far beyond God's grip of grace. If this is you, I'm happy to tell you today, you have no idea how far and wide His grace reaches. It can cover you, even you. If you would forsake your sin, make Christ Lord of your life, live by faith, you too can be numbered with the harlots who were made holy in faith. May that be an encouragement to you. So we have learned that faith, trust in God's promises against all odds, faith in the present, pleases God regardless of one's past. Notice what else we learn here about faith. We learn faith is trusting in God no matter our limitations. No matter our limitations. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I love this. He's like a pastor at the end of his sermon out of time and he's just throwing on more examples quickly, right, of the faith. He says, And what more shall I say? Well, he's got a lot more he could say. 
There, there are examples like this all throughout the Old Testament. He says, I don't have time to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and, and time fails us here this morning to talk about each of these individuals in detail. You're going to be encouraged to read their story this week and, and study about them, study about their flaws and study about their faith. In, in your study guide, so please do that. We could literally spend a sermon or two or more on each of these. These men lived during the time of the, the judges and the kings. Samuel, you know, was in between. He was during the time of the judges. He's the one who is used by God to anoint King Saul and later King David who ushers in this period of the kings. And we talked last week, and you're going to see in your study this week on these individuals, they were flawed in big time, in, in big ways, right? Gideon demanded signs from God, led his people to sin. Samson was sexually promiscuous and broke his covenant with God. Jephthah vowed to sacrifice his own daughter. David committed adultery and tried to cover it up by arranging the death of the woman's husband. They were flawed, flawed, but ultimately faithful. And, and notice what they're used by God to do. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. Gideon, the sheepish judge, was used by God to defeat the Midianites. Barak fought with Deborah and defeated the Canaanites. Samson, the immoral, sexually promiscuous, disobedient judge, defeated the Philistines. Jephthah, the, the Ammonites, and David led God's people in many, many victories. They enforced justice. They were used as God's great instruments of judgment, right? They obtained promises. God fulfilled promises through these men bringing deliverance. He promised deliverance through these judges. Promises of a king, he fulfilled that, right? Through his instrument, Samuel. And for David, God made promises of a future king, which he fulfilled as well, right? King Jesus, who would bring about a true and better kingdom and accomplish a true and better victory and who would sit on David's throne forever. These men stopped the mouths of lions. We know that's talking about David and Samson, right? Both killed lions. Look at verse 34. Quench the power of fire. Who's that? Well, I'm reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Though not mentioned here, we know this is not a comprehensive list. The author has more of the faithful in mind than the ones mentioned. Escape the edge of the sword. We know David did that, right? A number of times. We're made strong out of weakness. Gideon, he was a coward, right? But he's made a, a, a mighty warrior, a mighty deliverer of God's people. David had so many flaws, he became a mighty man of war and put foreign armies to flight. He was a man after God's own heart. And again, how did they do this? How did they quench the power of fire? How did they close the mouths of lions? How did they put foreign armies to flight? By their own strength? Because these guys were just incredibly gifted, smart, powerful military leaders? Say no. How do they do it? Beginning of verse 33, they did it through faith. Through faith. All of the accomplishments of these men 
Any real spiritual achievement they had was through faith. God accomplished these great works through these great men, through their faith. He deserves all the glory and the honor and the praise for their accomplishments. And get this, this truth is good news for you and me today. Listen, God does not call for you and me to be impressive for him in our own strength. Thank goodness he doesn't. Amen? God does not call for you and me to be successful in spite of him, apart from him. God calls for you and me to live lives of faith in him, and he wants to work in and through you and your faith in spite of who you are. Are you weak? Great. God brings strength from weakness. Are you ill-equipped and inexperienced? Great. God equips those whom he calls, and he uses the weak and the inexperienced to put foreign armies to flight. What he asks from us is for us to look to and follow him in faith. He wants you and me to live by faith, to take him at his word against all odds, regardless of our past, no matter our limitations. That's how he wants to use you and me. That's how he wants us to live our lives. Notice what else we learn here about faith. We learn that faith is needed to suffer well. Look at verses 35 through 38. Notice the contrast between what we just heard. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Wow! So notice here, in the previous passage, you have some of the Old Testament faithful who quenched the power of fire. They closed the mouths of lions and escaped the edge of the sword. And here you have others who were tortured and died in awful ways. In verse 35, we learn that some who lost loved ones, they did receive their dead back by, by resurrection, right? We know that happened during the ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Others were tortured. They refused to accept release, and they died in hopes of a future resurrection to a better life. That's faith on display right there. Some suffered mocking, others flogging and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. Now I want you to know here, I want you to notice here, that those who suffered in this way were in no way different spiritually than the others who quenched the power of fire and closed the mouths of lions. Both groups are put on display for their faith. Now let me tell you, that flies in the face of a lot of those health and wealth preachers who say, if you just have enough faith, God is obligated to bless you in the here and now with a beautiful home, with a white picket fence and nice clothes and cars and health and wealth and happiness, your best life now. The writer of Hebrews would have viewed that teaching as being ridiculous. Look at what happened 
to the faithful in this passage? Is it because they lack faith? No, they're in this chapter because of their great faith. Notice we're also told they, they went about in skins of sheep and goats. That's the wardrobe of God's prophets here. Did they have health and wealth and happiness in the here and now? No, we're told they're destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Where do they live? Wandering about in deserts and, and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Yet, while they were not blessed with worldly riches, though they were not wealthy by the world's standards, notice what we're told about them. We're told the world was not worthy of them. In the eyes of the world, these men were nobodies. In the eyes of God, they're everything. Better than anything this world could ever produce. The world was not worthy of them. What a statement. This life is hard, believers. Don't believe anyone who tells you it's not. John Newton described it as being filled with many dangers, toils, and snares. The Puritans used to say that the life of a believer, though it's filled with joy, it's also filled with losses and crosses. It's true. We have to endure trials of various kinds. How do we get through them? How do we endure? How do we survive? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Faith enables us to endure trials and tribulations, losses and crosses that come. One final point we see here in this passage. Faith is necessary until the finish. Again, another verse here on endurance and finishing well. This is a point he returns to again and again in Hebrews 11. Look at verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, underline that word better, for us, that apart from us they should not be made Perfect. When he says, and all these things, he's just referring back to all of these examples that he's just given. All of these men and women of faith, they did not live to see the fulfillment of, of everything, right? They, they died. They're, these are Old Testament examples before Jesus. So they, they died before the, the main thing that God promised happens. He, he says in verse 40, God provided something better for us. What better something is he referring to here? What is it? Jesus is Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus. Think about the, the, the book we're in, the title of our series. God has provided a better covenant, a better Savior. He sent His Son Jesus to accomplish our salvation and secure those who trust in Him forever. The Old Testament faithful did not live to see this fulfillment, but they lived by faith looking forward to these future promises to come in Christ. They lived by faith until their finish, and we are called to do the exact same thing. Thing. Believers, though we live in the last days, the final trumpet has not yet sounded, right? 
We're still looking forward to that time along with the faithful who are with us and the faithful who have gone before us to that day when all is made perfect again, us included. That day has not yet come. And until that day comes or until our end, we are to live by faith. Look at this quote by Ligon Duncan. This is great. Of this passage of Scripture, he says this, We live in this world all the way up to the end by faith. Only at the second coming and the inauguration of eternity will faith turn to sight. Until then, we live by faith. That is to be true of every single one of us in here. That's the way you're to live your life. Until faith becomes sight, you live by faith. How do you live the Christian life? By faith. You live it by trusting in God's promises against all odds, trusting in, in God regardless of the past, trusting no matter one's limitations. You live by a faith that enables you to suffer well, a faith that continues to the very end. That's how you live the Christian life, by faith, by faith, by faith. If you're here today and that sounds foreign to you, maybe you're here and your life is not characterized by faith like the people in Hebrews 11. The reason why is because you have never placed your, your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Listen, Scripture is clear. Before you can live by faith, you must first be awakened to the truth of your sinfulness and your need for salvation and be awakened to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's got to do that work in your heart and life and awaken you to faith and you are to respond to it by turning from your sin, forsaking your sin and making Christ Lord of your life. It begins there. Have you done that? Have you let go of the reins of your life and have you given your life up and over to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he Lord of your life today? If not, I pray that you would make that decision right here, right now, today. Regardless of your past, make this decision in the present. Place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and live by faith till your end. Let's pray.